Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. We are celebrating the greatest event ever to happen on this earth. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we don't, we don't see it like that. We, uh, we have said, uh, you know, Easter's a day and uh, just kind of pass through it in our year, uh, throughout our year. Uh, but here we've been celebrating all month long uh, at Trinity Baptist Temple. And, and you say, well, uh, that's, that's good. Uh, but, uh, you know, here's the perspective. The nation sets aside a day. Um, and many throughout the world set aside a day uh, to go to church, uh, to hunt Easter eggs, to eat candy, to get together with family. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Uh, but we get together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, yeah, hey, praise the Lord. Amen. But it, with such a significantly um, profound truth, this reality that we're celebrating... I believe it has to be celebrated every day. I believe that we've got to remember this every single day. We're excited today. We've set it aside. Again, this month we've been celebrating, but we should be doing this every single day. And uh, <clears throat> so some people say, well, what, so what are, you, what are you doing as, what do you mean you celebrated it all month long? Um, you know, we've shared this before, but if you're a guest, this is what we've done. Uh, in December, well, at the end of November, we start celebrating Christmas. As soon as Thanksgiving's done, the decorations go up, we begin listening to Christmas music, and we start counting the days, right? I mean, we literally start counting the days. Uh, 15 days, 12 days till Christmas, 10 days. Um, and so we get all excited about that. And in many regards, there's a big commercialization on that. Uh, but nevertheless, we celebrated all year long the coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. And that's a big deal. But today, and this time of year, is the reason why he came. And so when we look at this, we say, man, this is a really big deal. And, and another reason why we do this all month long is because we know, <clears throat> according to Scripture, that it was the, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread that Jesus Christ was crucified and that he rose again. Uh, we know that this feast, according to Scripture, is to celebrate the deliverance of God's people or the salvation of God's people, Israel, out of bondage. They were in bondage in Egypt, and God sent them this gift of salvation if they would simply obey his word and follow his commands. They were to sacrifice a lamb, they were to put the blood above the doorpost of their house, and whoever is behind that blood would be saved, would be spared, them and their house. And so the, the death would pass over. Again, that's where the word Passover comes from. But again, it took faith in God's word, them following God's word, God's direction, in order for them to be saved. And so 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to this earth, and us in 2017, we look back to that time that we see, and we face similar circumstances. You and I here today have to trust God at his word. The children of Israel, when they were in bondage, they, they had never seen what the death angel visiting their house looked like. They had never seen God deliver them in the way that he was about to deliver them, so they had to trust him that he was going to do what he promised them that he would do if they would follow him. And so again, we're similar, 2,000 years now removed from the, the death and the burial of Jesus Christ, and we have to trust God the same exact way. We know death is going to come to every person. That's a reality. The Bible tells us that, that it's appointed unto man once to die. 
But we have to understand something very important. Those who aren't behind the blood of Jesus Christ, who haven't trusted God at his word, haven't experienced salvation by his hand, have an extremely difficult future and a very dark future for them. Those of us who have, those of us who place our faith in Jesus Christ, we have an eternal hope. We have an expected end. And again, we have to, we have to uh, understand how important and serious this time of year is, uh, this, this, what this celebration means. And some people say, well, this is kind of a deep and serious way to begin a service. We were all excited, and we were all clapping, we were all, you know, everybody was happy a while ago, and now we're talking about death. But I want you to understand, celebration is coming. Celebration is here, but celebration is coming. The rejoicing is coming, and specifically in this message. But I couldn't stand up here on the stage and say that I sincerely loved you if I didn't tell you and warn you that there's a danger ahead if you don't trust Jesus Christ. I, I couldn't say that I sincerely cared for you if I didn't tell you you've got to hear this important message because it means your eternity. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. And I want you to understand as well, if you don't have the whole picture, you can't have complete faith. And so we're going to look at the whole picture this morning. And I, I want to give you just a simple message this morning. That's the title of this message. A simple truth. Very simple. That's an amazing hope that comes with it. And so I want to pray and look at four simple points. And then we'll be done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what we've already experienced. Thank you for the special uh, singing, the, the special um, opportunities that you've given us already today. To worship you, to celebrate life and and we realize that's what we have because of you we have life and lord i pray that if there's someone here this morning that doesn't have a relationship with you or maybe they've come to church maybe they've been to church before maybe they've heard the name jesus before maybe they realize that easter is celebrating your resurrection but god they've never entered into a relationship trusting you at your word just as your people throughout all of history have had to do is trust you. If there's somebody like that here this morning, I pray before they leave this place, they would understand what amazing love that you have for them and what you did because of that love and all they have to do to receive that love. And so God, just move this morning. And those of us who have experienced that life-changing love, Lord, we've entered into a relationship with you through faith. I pray that we would be reminded this morning about how important this message is and our faith would be increased lord we would be encouraged we'd be edified and and we'd be inspired and encouraged to go out and share this simple truth that has an amazing hope and so lord we pray that you'd move this morning in a great way i pray the power of your word would go forth and that your spirit would move and you would have your way in jesus name we ask it all amen point number one this morning we're going to jump right into it is this truth it's a simple truth that Jesus Christ came. He came. And so, well, well first of all, who, who is Jesus Christ? And, and, and who, who, you know, what does this mean that he came to this earth? This means that the Son of God, God the Son, came to this earth for a reason. And you can say, well, I mean, what does Jesus Christ mean? Is it just another name? No, it's not just another name. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. Christ means the anointed one sent from God, the Messiah. You hear the word Messiah? That means Christ. That means he is the one that God sent to this earth 
to point back to God as the only source of salvation. That's a big deal because somebody says, man, there's a lot of people looking for hope in a lot of different ways today. There's some people that are trying to find it in drugs. Some people are trying to find it in alcohol. Some people are trying to find it in relationships. Some people are trying to find hope and and, and acceptance and, and, and gratification and so many things in this world that fall flat. And God sent his only son to this earth to give us everything we could ever need and everything we could ever want. Right now in this world, we we may not see that, we may not understand that because we can't necessarily tangibly touch those things with our hand. But you have to understand something. So, okay, so God sent his son to this earth. He, he, He came to this earth for a purpose. And what was that purpose? Why did he come? It's a very simple answer. He came for you and he came for me. He came for you and he came for me. And somebody says, why would God come to this earth? Why would, why would God fill in it? If, if he's God and he's in his throne and he's got everything he needs in his heaven, why would God, of all creation, feel the need to come to this earth for me and you? Because the Bible says that he loved us. He so loved us. Matter of fact, John 3, 16 says it very clearly and beautifully. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If somebody came to every single person in this room and, and seat by seat began to ask us, if you had the opportunity to have everlasting life, would you take it? I don't think there's any, any doubt in our mind uh, that every single person in this room would say, yeah, I want everlasting life. I don't want to die. I, I, I would love to, to, to never face death and never have to think about death or even what happens after death. So uh, there's no doubt in my mind, if that was the offering, that every single person could have everlasting life, that we would all take up that offer. And again, the Bible is very clear. That's the reason why Jesus came, is to offer us eternal life. 1 Timothy chapter 1 says this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came also in perfect time. So he came to this earth for us. He came to this earth because he loved us. He came to this earth to save, and he came to this earth in perfect time. Because you can go around and you can ask people, when would be the perfect time for for God uh, to come to the earth to to save? Would it have been 500 years before? Would it have been 600 or 700 years before when the prophet Isaiah was on on the earth? Would it it have been 200 years later uh, that Jesus Christ came that would have been perfect? No, no, no. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 4 that in the fullness of time, in God's perfect time, He came to this earth, and I love it. It says this, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, here it is, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So Jesus Christ came to this earth, God incarnate, God in the flesh, came to this earth to save, and in God's perfect time, He did so. Why? Why did God do this? Because it just said very clearly that we needed a Savior. We needed to be redeemed because we are under the law. What is the law? The law is God's perfect word. It's it's His righteous, holy standard. And God says, this is right and this is wrong. And it's very clear that it's perfect. It's holy. It's without without flaw. So that's that's a difficult thing to to understand that um, there's a righteous standard that we're supposed to follow, and God's given us that righteous standard. 
And the Bible tells us very clearly, without Christ, we are all dead in our sins. Well, so what, what a sin? Sin is when we break that law of God. Sin is when we, we fall short. God says, don't lie. And we lie. We break that law. And we fall short. We miss, we miss the mark. Again, the Bible tells us very clearly that all of us are in that same boat. All of us have missed the, missed the mark. All of us has bro have broken God's law at some point in time. Romans chapter 5 says this very clearly. It's because of one man's sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered to the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans chapter 3, a couple chapters back in, in verse 10 says this, There's none righteous, no, not one. And then a few verses later in verse 23 it says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So this is dark, man. This is Easter. It's supposed to be like lied and celebrating. Again, I told you the celebrating and rejoicing is coming. But we've got to hear what, why Jesus Christ came, what, why this is such an important day. Because again, the whole world stands before God in an unrighteous state by themselves. We all stand before the Lord as sinners by ourselves. We fall short. We've missed the mark. And the bad, the even worse news is what we just read, and it says it further in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says the wages of sin is death. So what you and I get when we're born and we grow up and we begin to break God's law, begin to lie, we begin to steal, we begin to, to do things that we're not supposed to do according to God's word, we break God's law. When we get to that point, guess what? That, that shows us this is the reason why death exists. In our world, there's, there's, there's so much pain, there's so much hurt, there's so much death, there's, there, there's so many bad things in this world. And sometimes people say, why is there so much wrong? Why is there so much death? Why is there so much hurt? Why are there so many bad things in this world? Romans chapter 5 just told us, by one man's sin, sin it entered into the world. And, and because of that sin, death came. And so every single one of us faced the same exact fate. Every single one of us are in the same exact boat. We have all broken God's law. We, are all, we all fall short of God's glory, glorious standard, His holiness. And we're all hopeless by ourselves. But that's why I'm so glad He came. That's why I'm, I'm glad Jesus Christ came. Because the second point is this. Part of the deal of Him coming to save was that He suffered. And somebody says, well, so God, if, if God is holy, God is righteous, He's never done anything wrong, He's never, done, he's never sinned, he's never lied, he's never done anything wrong. God is perfect and holy, and he decided to leave his throne in heaven as holy God, and he came to this earth, and he put on human flesh, being holy God, and ho completely God and completely man, and he walked this earth to save mankind, and he never did anything wrong, and he came knowing that he was going to have to suffer. Why would he do that? Why, why would God do that? We already know that he came because, because of you and I. We know that he came because he loved us. But the same exact answer, why did Jesus Christ suffer? Why did he have to suffer? Because of you and I. Because you and I. The righteous requirement of sin was that it would be ultimately dealt with by God, right, God's righteous wrath. God, one day the Bible tells us that God's going to eventually do away with sin completely. But 2,000 years ago, he dealt with it. And he dealt with it once and for all. 
And that sin, that wrath, that requirement to, to deal with sin was placed upon Jesus Christ. A sinless person, a sinless man took upon him everything that we deserved. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this very clearly. It says that he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah would prophesy exactly what it would look like that Jesus would do, everything that he would go through for us. Look what it says. It says, he was despised and we esteemed him not. I'm sorry, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, or the, the, the chastisement that brought about our peace, was put upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one, every person has turned his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so open not he his mouth. He's taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he, was, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Listen to these words. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. See, Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, and he suffered for sin. He suffered for our sin. He suffered for your sin and my sin. Somebody who is innocent, somebody who, who never, there was not a, a word of deceit in his mouth, somebody who had never committed any act of sin, had never, had never had an impure thought, he who knew no sin took upon him the sin of the whole world so that we could experience the righteousness of God. What kind of love is this? Again, we saw a while ago, he came because of you and I. He came because of his love for you and I. And the mind, our mind today, has to ask that question. What kind of love would do that? What kind of love would die for people? See, I could sit here today and I could say, listen, it makes a lot of sense. There, there's little kids in here. There's beautiful little girls and handsome young men. And, and, and we look at them and say, they're, such, they're innocent little kids. And, and we could wrap our mind around that. We could wrap our mind around a holy God coming to this earth and laying his life and, and, and suffering, taking bruising and, 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 and suffering the, the death that he suffered for those little innocent kids. That's not what the scripture said that he did. The scripture said he came and he suffered for the world, for the sins of the world. That means he suffered for the worst of mankind. You say, maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you say, Brother Kyle, look, you don't know what I've done. I've done so many bad things. I've done so many wicked things. There's no way God would have come to this earth and loved me and suffered for me. And I would tell you, you're wrong. Because Scripture says he did that. Amen. 
Scripture said that he came and he suffered for every person who ever sinned. What an amazing thought. What kind of love is this? But beyond suffering, beyond taking the bruising and the mocking, just as we saw in that video, the, the, the beating, the scourging, uh, the betrayal, beyond all of that suffering, the Scripture tells us that He did something that actually paid for our sin. We know He came to this earth and He suffered in, in a way that an innocent man didn't deserve to suffer, but He came and He suffered, and He also, beyond that, point number three is that He died. And again, the question is this. Why did Jesus Christ die? He came to this earth because of you and I, because he loved us. He came to this earth because he had to save. And a part of the salvation was that he would suffer for the sins of the world. And beyond all of that, again, he died for you and I. If, I, if we were to ask the question again, we'd say, well, well, who did Jesus Christ die for? Not just the little children. Not just the innocent people that seem innocent in our world. He came to die for you. And he came to die for me. He came to die for the lowest of the low, for the blackest of the black, for the worst sinner that we could ever imagine. He came to die for the sins of the world. And the question that comes next is this. But why did God have to come and why did he have to die? If he's going to suffer, we understand that. I mean, but he's God. I mean, how, how, do, you know, how do we reconcile in our mind that he would die? Why did he have to die? Couldn't he just come and take that punishment? Couldn't he come and just take the beating and the betrayal and, and, and be punished for our sin? Why did God have to come to this earth and die? The scripture tells us very clearly why he had to die. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. In other words, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. There's no covering for sin. So it said a while ago, God, uh, for thousands of years, uh, had worked with his people. And this is how he worked with his people. Once a year, there was a high priest in the nation of Israel. And once a year, that high priest would have to go into the very holiest of holies in the temple in Jerusalem. And what he would have to do inside the Holy of Holies one time of year was offer blood upon the mercy seat. And that blood offering on the mercy, the blood of a spotless lamb, that blood offering on top of that mercy seat was to be the covering of sin for the nation of Israel for that year. A lamb had to die. Blood had to be shed. You say, why does, I mean, that, what does that make sense? I mean, that sounds kind of weird. Blood, why in the world would blood have to be shed? And why death? Why does someone have to die uh, for sins to be forgiven? Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 tells us that life is in the blood. See, when God created mankind, the Bible tells us that God breathed into to Adam's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. We all know what makes our, our, our lungs go today. It's oxygen, right? If you take our oxygen away, we stop breathing. We can't live anymore. But what happens beyond that? Why is it, why is it so important? We know that there's a transfer that happens in our lungs. Oxygen is transferred into our blood, and our blood then is carried throughout all of our body, and that's why we have life in all of our body. If that oxygen stops getting into our blood, guess what happens? The blood loses power, and the body loses power, and we die. And so we look at blood, and we see, and we understand that it's the token of life for man. 
Blood is the token of life for man. So God clothes himself 2,000 years ago in human flesh. The creator comes in the form of the created for the creator, uh, for the created. He suffers and he dies and he sheds his blood in that body. Why? To pay the price for our sin. See, Romans chapter 5 says this in verse 6, for when we were yet without strength, strengthen ourselves, we were sinners. We had no hope and direction for ourselves. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's all of us. For scarcely, so it's hardly to find somebody that would die for a righteous man, it says. Yet perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die. It makes sense that someone would die for a righteous man, and, and, and it would make a little more sense that you, know, you find good people, and, and somebody would die for good people. But look what it goes on and says, verse 8, But God commendeth his love, or he demonstrated, he showed, he expressed his love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were good enough, not when we were righteous enough, not when we were, you know, strong enough in ourselves to save us. No, no, no. The Bible says no. It's not, that's not how it happened. We were sinners. We were hopeless. We were weak. We were ungodly. We, we were without strength, the Bible says. And in that time, God demonstrated his love by dying for us. And then it says this, much more than being justified by his blood. That means declared righteous in the sight of God. That means being able to, to stand before God one day and be innocent. Because by ourselves, if we were to stand before God, we would all be guilty Amen. without what Jesus Christ did for us. The Daily Bread yesterday said this, the cross of Christ reveals our sin at its worst and God's love at its best. And that's how God showed his love. That's how God demonstrated his love for us. And it's how we're justified. It's how one day, the Bible says, I said a while ago, uh, that we know that we're all going to die. It says this in uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It's appointed unto men once to die. And then it says these words, and after this, the judgment. At one point in time, every single person is going to stand before God. You're going to stand before God one day. I'm going to stand before God one day. And I know, as I said a while ago, I, and I said even this morning, I know I'm a sinner. And, and there's no way I could have, have any track of how many sins I've committed. And that's not bragging. That's just a, to show a volume. There's no way I know all the sins I've ever committed. And so I know if I were to stand before God with my own righteousness, it would be no righteousness at all. It would be complete unri unrighteousness. I'd stand before God as a guilty sinner, guilty of breaking all of his commands, guilty of, uh, uh, of all sin by myself. But it's because the blood of Christ was shed for our sin that I know I can stand before God one day justified. Justified, never sin. Declared righteous, holy, innocent before a holy God. Not because of me, but because of his shed blood. That's how the Lord showed his love. That's how God demonstrated it. The story doesn't end there. Just as we've heard the songs, just as we saw in the video, 
We know the story doesn't end there. And listen, this is the big part. This is the celebrating part. This is the part that is so important, so rejoicing, because there's a lot of people that have come into this world that have claimed to be God. There's a lot of people that have come into this world that have claimed to have salvation. There's a lot of people, even today, that say that they have the key to salvation. There's a lot of religions out there that say they have the right way for salvation. But there is one thing One thing, one event that we know 100% sets Jesus Christ, our God, apart from every other person, every other claim, every other false God. There's one thing that sets him completely apart. One thing alone. From Buddha, from Allah, and again, from anybody else that's gone before that exists now. And that's point number four. He rose. He rose. Amen. Praise God. People say, well, why, you know, why are Christians so excited about the resurrection? And maybe you're here this morning and you came and you're visiting, you're a guest, and, and you're wanting to know why it's such a big deal. Why, why do Christians make such a big deal about this? Because listen, this is the difference between eternal life and eternal death. This is the difference between us having a hope that takes us beyond this life and being the most miserable people on the face of the earth. This is the difference. The question I want to ask again that we've asked at the other three points is this. Why did he rise? Why did Jesus rise? He came. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness of sin. So he did what he needed to do in paying for our sins. So why did he have to rise? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and bear with me. Please stay with me, and we're about to be done. But we're going to read several scriptures, but this is going to give us the reason why Christ rose and why he had to rise. Verse 3, for I delivered first unto you first of all, which I also received. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church, the Corinthian believers, thousands of years ago, almost 2,000 years ago as well. And he's telling them, I've given you what I first received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now listen to the testimony. There's a lot of people that say, I don't necessarily believe that Christ rose from the dead. I believe that God may have came and died on the cross, but it's just hard to believe that someone actually rose from the dead. Look what happens. According to the scriptures, he rose and that he was seen of Cephas, or Peter, then of the twelve, the other twelve apostles. After that, he was seen above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. Again, this is the Apostle Paul writing uh, probably a couple decades after Jesus Christ's resurrection. And he's writing this to this church, and he's telling them, these people have seen the risen Christ. And the large majority of these people that saw the risen Lord are still living today. This was back in Paul's day. They're still living today, but he goes on and he explains, but some have fallen asleep or some have died Uh, having believed in Christ. And then he says, after this, he was seen of James and then all the apostles. And then last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. He said, for I'm the least of the apostles that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So let me stop there and go back to one point real quick and we'll continue on. As I said a while ago, you say, Brother Kyle, I, I, I can see how maybe God came and died for certain people, but I've done so many wrong things. I've done so many evil things. I've, I've done so many sinful things. I just have a hard time accepting that Jesus Christ died for my sins, 
that he would forgive me of all my sins, all the wrong I've done, all the bad I've done, all the junk I'm involved with right now. I just have a hard time believing that Jesus would forgive me. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever murdered Christians? Have you ever murdered Christians? And I don't know that anybody in here has, but the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul did, and he found grace in Jesus' sight. He found forgiveness in Jesus' sight. And not only did he find grace and forgiveness and salvation in the sight of Jesus, but God used the Apostle Paul to do something that not many Christians have ever done since him. God used him in phenomenal ways. And so if you're here and you say, I just have a hard time believing God will forgive me, just know that he will. There's nothing that's too far. There's nothing too great that he can't forgive. That his blood can't wash away. His blood is powerful enough, I promise you. But he goes on and he says this. I per, he said, I because I persecuted the church of God. And then he says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so ye believe. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead... How say some among you that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, please listen, here it is. Then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. He says, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, then there is no point in putting faith in him. There, there's no reason to trust Jesus for salvation. If he didn't rise from the dead, then there's no hope beyond the grave because he stayed there. That's hypothetically, if that's the case. But he goes on and says, yeah, and we are found false witnesses of God. We're preaching the false truth uh, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom, ye, it, it, whom he raised not up. If so be, the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. They're dead. They don't have eternal life. They don't have uh, an eternity with God. And listen to what he says here. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. In other words, if our hope in Jesus Christ doesn't take us beyond this life, if it doesn't give us an eternal hope and glory with God, if, if our hope in Jesus Christ doesn't do that, then what a miserable life to say, I'll give up my life, I'll trust in Jesus Christ, but there's nothing beyond this life for me. What a miserable existence. What a miserable life, and that's what Paul said. But listen to these words as I close. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, we read that a while ago, Adam, by man came also the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Praise God. It's because he came to this earth and he suffered for our sins and he bled and died and paid the price for our sins to give us forgiveness and covering for our sins. But not only that, that he rose again, that you and I can have eternal life. That's why we celebrate. 
That's why we're rejoicing. That's why it's such a big thing because listen, there's people dying every single day in this world. Thousands of people every day leave this life and they enter into eternity. And some people say, I just don't believe that. I believe when you die, you just go into the grave. Let's, let's do a hypothetical situation then. If those of us who are following Jesus Christ, we've given up our life and we want to follow him, means that we are to love God with everything that we have and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we're not perfect in doing that, but that's what our goal is, is to strive after loving God and loving other people. If that's what we're doing in this life, then we're contributing to the betterment of this world. And when we die, if there's no heaven, there's no eternity, we just go into the grave, then we'll have done something productive. Those who live their lives for themselves and don't give their life to Christ, don't trust Christ, if nothing happens after this world and they simply go into the grave, then yeah, they'll, they'll have lived their life and maybe not as contributed as much to society, but it'll be over. And the reality is this. Christians won't have lost anything and those who weren't Christians won't have gained anything. But if there is an eternity beyond this, grave, beyond this life, if the grave isn't the end, and the Bible is true, and only those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and his death for their sins, the payment for their sins, his blood, and his resurrection, only those are going to enter into an eternal life who have eternal life now. They're going to go beyond this world, beyond death, beyond the grave, and spend eternal life with him. Then the other is true. Those who don't have faith in Jesus Christ are going to spend eternity somewhere else. And that's a, that's a, that's a devastating reality. That's a devastating truth. And the reality in that is this. If Christians are right, then the Bible is right, then, then Christians will have gained everything. And those who aren't Christians will have lost everything for all of eternity. Many people still question it. There's great controversy around the resurrection. There's great controversy around trusting Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Many people doubt it because they've never seen it for themselves. But know this. Some of those same people that doubt the death and the, and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, they don't doubt certain things in history that they've never seen, but they only read about them in history books. They believe those things in history happened, but they don't believe that what the Bible says happened. Even though it's never been proven wrong, even though it's historically accurate, people say, I still don't know that I believe. Those same people who don't believe will also know and believe that there's a wind. Even though they've never seen the wind, they see the effects of the wind. But I want to say this this morning as our musicians make their way. Doubtless, there are countless millions of people whose lives are testaments, who have experienced the life-changing power of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection all around the globe. Yet the resurrection is still questioned. And, and the question that comes to mind is this. Why is the resurrection still questioned? If people don't doubt that what Napoleon did happened, if they don't doubt what Alexander the Great did, if they don't doubt other things in history, what great seemingly supernatural things that happened in history, people don't doubt that, but they still doubt the resurrection. Why is this so? Because here's the truth. If somebody accepts the resurrection, if somebody says, okay, 
I believe that Jesus died, and I believe he rose again. But I'm not going to give my life to him. I, I, I believe that. The reason why people won't do that, and the people, the, the, here, here's the reason why. It's because if you accept the resurrection, you have to accept everything else. You have to accept that he died, that he suffered, and that he came for your sin and for my sin. You have to accept that's why he came. So what do we got to do with this? It's simple, but it's, it's amazing. We're left with a choice. We either trust him or we reject him. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. See, Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, and he did all of the work. He did it all. So we just saw, he came to this earth, he suffered for our sins, he bled to pay for our sins, and he rose again. He did all of the work, and we're left with a choice. Again, either to trust him or to reject him. You have a choice this morning. If you're here and you say, I've never trusted Jesus. I've heard that story before, but I've never, I've never turned my confidence over to him. I've never turned my reliance over him. I've never given him my life. I've never decided to turn away from sin. I've never decided to stop living my own life and start following him. I've never done that before. I've heard it before, but I've never done that. Remember this. You can't be good enough to save yourself. The Bible says, as we already saw, there's none righteous, that we're all sinners. And you can't do enough. Not only can you not be good enough, but you can't do enough to save yourself. The Bible says in Ephesians that it's by grace that we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. She said, Brother Kyle, what do I got to do? You have to simply turn from sin, turn from self, and trust what you heard this morning. By giving him your life, trusting Jesus alone will save you. But you got to call on him to do that. Romans chapter 10 says that. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's a promise of God. It goes on in verse 13 to say, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everybody's heads are bowed and nobody's looking around. I'm not going to do anything to, to embarrass you, I promise you. We don't do this a whole lot. But I, I do want to pray for you. If you're here this morning and you would say, Brother Kyle, I've never trusted Jesus Christ for salvation. I've never surrendered my life. I've never turned over the control of my life to him. I've heard that story before. I've heard that he came and he died and he rose again, but I've, I've never trusted him. The truth is I've, I've rejected him my whole life. If you're here and that's you, you say, Brother Kyle, I've never trusted Jesus for salvation. If that's you, nobody's looking around. If you'll just slip your hand up, just slip your hand up so I can, I, I just want to pray for you. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Nobody's going to say anything or do anything. Amen. Thank you in the back. You can put that down. Anybody else? So I've never trusted. Amen. You can put it down, ma'am. Anybody else? Amen. In the back, you can put your hand down. Anybody else? I, I've never given my life to Christ. I'm not going to make you, I promise you, I'm not going to make you do anything. I just want to pray for you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just raise your hand. I, I, I've never trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. 
Are there at least three people that, that raised their hand this morning? I want to tell you something. I, I pray that you heard that God loves you, that he wants to have a relationship with you. And I want to invite you to come down. When, in a minute, I'm going to pray. We're all going to stand, and we're going to have a few moments of people to respond, people to come to this altar and to thank the Lord for his salvation, to thank, his, thank him for the resurrection. Many people, Christians, are going to be at this altar praying, and I want to invite you to come. If you raise your hand, I want to invite you to come down here. We'll have a couple of people here that can show you in God's word how you can have a relationship, how you can know today when you leave this building that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. I beg you to come. Even if you didn't raise your hand, you say, I, I didn't raise my hand, I don't know what you're going to do. But if you're here and you say, you know what, I, I want to go to heaven. I've never given my life to Christ, and I, but I want to go to heaven. I, I'm begging you to come down here. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Nobody's going to do anything weird. All we want to do is simply show you more in God's word what it takes to be saved. That's all we're going to do. And then you'll, you're going to be the one that's left with the choice. Nobody's going to force you to do anything. You'll be left with the choice. It's all your choice anyways. So I'm going to beg you to come. Let them at least show you. After we pray, Christians, I want to encourage you to come. I want you to pray for those people that raise their hands or maybe pray for those who didn't raise their hands that they need, they need to have a relationship as well. And maybe they'll come. Not only that, but we have a lot to be thankful for. And maybe we can just come down and thank the Lord for his salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you again for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news. Lord, we realize that the bad news is that we're all sinners, that we're all lost, and that we're all headed for a destruction, an eternity in, in, a, in the lake of fire, a place that is reserved for your enemy and reserved for all of his followers. For anyone who's not your child, Lord, we realize that that's the eternal uh, destination. That's, that's bad news, but we're so thankful for the good news that you came, that you suffered, and that you died for our sins in our place. You paid the price and that you rose again. And through you and you alone, we can have eternal life. So Lord, again, I, I pray this morning that your will would be done, that those three people, they raise their hands, that they would make their way as soon as we open this altar up and as soon as people start moving, that they'll come down here and they'll talk to somebody and let them show them how to be saved. Lord, if there's somebody that didn't raise their hand and they need to be saved, I pray that they would come this morning as well. Receive the free gift of eternal life, the free gift of salvation that you offer. Lord, we pray that you just move now and we'll praise you for it all. We ask this in Jesus' name.